Welcome to The Porch. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, the red-letter basics. Examining the Word of God, focusing on the Book of Acts Church to see how the early church served the Lord. We take a deeper look into their service to the kingdom of God and follow their example. Our desire has always been to find and restore the priesthood of the believer and regain the world shaking influence of the early church. By digging deeper into Scripture, not filtering it down, watering it down, or doing anything more than taking it for what it means we find the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. The church age is not over. What happened in the upper room is as much for today as it was on the day of Pentecost. So if you know that there's more to your spiritual walk with Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, and you want more, then you're welcome to join us on this journey. If you have any questions, go to firefalltalkradio.com, use the contact button, or email us at theporch, lowercase one word, at firefalltalkradio.com. If you'd like to support us, On the main page of firefalltalkradio.com, there's ways to do so. Reach out to us if you need more information. We appreciate your support and encouragement and would ask that you pray that uh, there's more so that we can do more. And welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms. We appreciate you and thank you for being a part of the porch. If you need prayer, or you want to pray for others, let us know. We'll connect you and hook you in. Make sure you subscribe to us wherever you listen and on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the links for all the streaming sites and all of the social media sites are on the Firefall Talk Radio homepage. Father, You are an awesome Father, an awesome God. We come to you in the name of Yeshua, your Son. We want to spend time with you. We want to feel your presence. We want to hear your voice. You loved us when we were unlovable. You did everything needed to reconcile yourself with us. Not us with you, but yourself with us. You didn't have to. You could have let it just stay the way it was, but your heart was too full with love to do that. And what you did was you sent your only begotten son to pay the price with our blood, with his blood for our debt, because our blood wouldn't have done anything. The blood of animals wouldn't have done anything. It took the blood of the unblemished lamb to set us free from the curse of sin and death and break free the chains of bondage that Hasatan and the fallen have kept humanity in. Thank you for that. Yeshua, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Oh, thank you for the cross, for all that you did, for the pain, the shame, everything you allowed them to do to you for us. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to walk with us, to teach us, to guide us, to remind us of what we ask him to do tonight, to open our hearts and our minds, clear our minds of all the cares of this world, taking our thoughts captive to the obedience of Messiah, casting down every vain imagination that the enemy would rise up against our Heavenly Father and his Word and his Messiah. Holy Spirit, do whatever it is you want to do. Have your way. Give me the right words. Give me the right heart. Open up hearts and minds. Give people understanding. Protect this technology. And let the word go forth. Let people be set free. And let us walk in the the power and the authority and the relationship that Yeshua gave us. And I pray all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.
These lessons are proprietary information except where noted the information comes from outside sources. Combination of that information, the matter presented is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So open your Bibles. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he, he being Yeshua, went up on the mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You get mercy by giving mercy. Remember that. We're going we're gonna to circle back to that. You get mercy by giving it. Being merciful means to be full of mercy, to be compassionate, having or exercising mercy, to be disposed to be pity and spare offenders, unwilling to punish. It's the opposite of being merciless, unwilling to give pain, to be compassionate, merciful. That's what we're talking about tonight. The Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary says mercy is the characteristic and action that comes from the very nature of God. On the human level, it is best described as one's consideration of the condition and needs of his fellow man. It is essential disposition of a covenant people, especially Israel and the church, in the Old Testament, God's mercy was not primarily given to people outside his covenant community, but was expressed mainly towards his people, Israel. It also became the expected attitude and action of the people of Israel towards one another. This expectation was passed on to the church, which is us, not a building, and became a chief tenant in the lifestyle of believers. Yeshua made it an essential part of the believer's manifesto in the Sermon on the Mount, which is what I read to you. Mercifulness, that's what we're called to have and to be, to have an attitude of compassion and care grounded in the nature of God, our Father himself, which was made manifest in the life and ministry of the Lord and is expected of believers. It is not optional. You must be merciful. You must be willing to forgive. Now, you want to punish, you want judgment, that's his job. But if you keep that thought in your head, then you're living under the law. We're under a covenant of grace. Now, grace does not excuse sin, nor does it justify sin, but it gives the person the ability for forgiveness and healing because mercy and forgiveness are tied together. Look at Luke 6, starting in verse 32. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend 
to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, for you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Be merciful just as your Abba is merciful. You see, his mercy is illustrated in what we talked about when I was praying. He sent Yeshua to die for us. He sent Yeshua to fix Adam's mess. He sent Yeshua to undo what Hasatan and the fallen had done, and that was done in mercy and love and grace. See, Mary understood that in Luke chapter 1 when she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. In verse 46, Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his, his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Israel did not deserve mercy, but he remembered. He remembered the covenant he made with Abraham, and he gave it to them. And through everything they'd been, even when they were in captivity in, in Babylon, that's when Lamentations was written. Lamentations chapter 3, starting verse 22 Though the Lord, through the Lord's mercies, let me start that again because it's very important. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. It is because of, because of the Lord's mercy and loving kindness that we are not consumed because his tender compassions fail not. Pray that. Say that. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for being merciful to me. Thank him every day for his mercy and grace. See, in both the Old and New Testament, mercy is an action taken by the strong towards the weak, by the rich towards the poor, the insider towards the outsider, to those who have towards those who have not. See, the key to mercy and grace, they always go together, is remembering who you are remembering what you've done, remembering where you've come from. See, most people that I see that have no mercy have forgotten that. They've forgotten their failures. They have forgotten their sin. They have forgotten the times the Lord had to bail them out from their dumb decisions. I've been sharing this with various people as I talk to them, but, and I'm, I'm sure it's a sign of Aging, I don't want to say getting older, aging, thinking back, looking at some of the decisions I've made and going, what were you thinking? Probably I wasn't, or I was thinking with the wrong thoughts. We have to be merciful. We all screw up. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Some screw-ups are worse than others. I get it. I wouldn't have forgiven me. I've told you that when I do my testimony. 
I wouldn't have done what the Lord did for me, even to the point where one night in our apartment, after an event in our life, after we had prayed for a miracle and the miracle didn't happen, I walked into that apartment while my wife laid in a hospital bed. I walked through that door, and I looked up towards heaven, and I said, what good was it to pray to you? What good was it to trust you and believe in you? I did all that, and look what happened. Now leave me alone. And it took some years, and the enemy took advantage of that. But you know what? He didn't leave me alone. He had already made a way for me. That's mercy. That's grace. Micah chapter 6, starting at verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Then in Micah 7, 18, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Mercy. He delights in mercy. Oh, you could say, well, wait a second. He wasn't very merciful when he brought the flood. Well, my theory on that is, and and I think it's more than a theory. I can back it up, is that outside of Noah and his family, all those people that drowned— Their bloodlines had been tainted by the fallen and the Nephilim, and they were not his. Be that as it may, he was merciful to Noah and his family and to mankind that came after. Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all. His tender mercies are over all his works. Boy, David understood mercy. David understood grace. He really pushed the boundaries of that. And the Lord was always there for him. Mercy as given by God, our Heavenly Father, is the foundation of forgiveness. If you offer no mercy, you get no mercy. If you're unwilling to forgive, it's because you've forgotten about mercy. It's his faithfulness and steadfast love that inspires him to be merciful. It's an action. It's the fundamental quality of God. Psalm 78, verse 38, But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity, yet he did not destroy them. Yet many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. Nehemiah, in verse 9, brings up the same situation about Israel in the wilderness. Boy, if there's any group of people that deserved to be smote, to be smited, to be smoking, whatever, Struck down, it was them. But see, he loved them, and he had a covenant with them. Nehemiah 9, starting verse 15. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go in and possess the land which you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, which is a rebellion, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey. They were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them, but they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon 
gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Ready to pardon, gracious and merciful. God's grace and mercy, these are the qualities of our Heavenly Father, by which He shows Himself compassionate and accepting and generous to sinful human beings that don't deserve it, shielding them from His wrath, forgiving them, bestowing upon them His righteousness so that they can live and grow in faith and obedience. See, grace and mercy are particularly expressed and connected through God's covenant with His chosen people. And, therefore, Yeshua's atoning death on the cross. The cross was an instrument of mercy for us. 2 Corinthians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort. Oh my goodness. Are you getting this? Is this resonating inside of you? Is it taking any anger and unforgiveness and, and bitterness and judgmental nature and, and just melting it away in the blood? If it isn't, you're not listening. You're listening with your ears and not your heart and your spirit. Ephesians 2, verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Messiah. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Messiah Yeshua, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us. In Messiah Yeshua, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Grace, mercy, compassion, love, these are kingdom attributes. Where are they? Where are they? I desire to live a life Filled with that. First Timothy 1, starting verse 12, And I thank Messiah Jesus, Messiah Yeshua, our Lord, our Adonai, who has enabled me, Paul says, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy with faith and love which are in Messiah, Yeshua. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That Messiah, Yeshua, came into the world to save sinners, of which I am chief. However, for this reason, Paul says, I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus the Messiah might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him forever lasting life. Paul, in his testimony, is very transparent about what he did. And he's saying, I obtained mercy that in me, Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, Hamashiach, might show all long-suffering, all those who are long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Religion can't do that. The law can't do that. Legalism can't do that. All it wants to do is punish and judge. Cancel. You know, we have a cancel culture in society. Folks, we've had that in the church for years. Atonement describes the means by which God showed mercy to sinners. As I said, the cross was an instrument of mercy for us. Not for him, of course, but for us. For the thief on the cross right next to him, 
who didn't pray a prayer of salvation, just simply recognized that he was a king, that he had a kingdom, and he wanted him to remember him. And Yeshua took him with him. Mercy is an act of God. It's an act of love. And peace is the resulting experience of that mercy in the heart of man. How many of you right now live under the shadow of condemnation? The shadow of what if and I did this and I deserve that. That's the enemy talking. The Holy Spirit convicts. He doesn't condemn. And conviction is meant to bring you to repentance and restoration. The enemy wants condemnation to destroy you. We're not in the business of destroying people. We're in the business of healing people, setting the captives free. You can't be casting out demons and having signs and wonders when you refuse to forgive anybody. Romans 11, starting verse 30, For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also now have been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you they may obtain mercy. Because of the Messianic church, the Gentile church, and by the way, as a reminder, we were a Messianic religion up until the Council of Nicaea. That's what we were. I still are. I am. My English and grammar just went out the window, but you get what I'm saying. We know who we are. We know where we've come from. I know I'm not that person anymore, but I made some heinous Awful mistakes. And it was in his mercy that he set off a chain of events to get me to a place, literally and geographically and spiritually, he got me to a place where he could undo what the enemy had done. He could undo that prayer I prayed in my apartment in New York that night to where it went from leave me alone to never leave me alone to I always want to be with you. I want to be where you are. I want to hear your voice. I want to feel your touch. First Peter 2, starting verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Paul obtained mercy for all the things he did as Saul. Peter obtained mercy for his betrayal of the Lord. And we have obtained mercy for all the things we did. Mercy and grace. Mercy, forgiveness. Are you seeing a pattern here? Are you seeing an intention here? I hope you are. I hope you're getting this. I hope your heart is softening towards someone right now. Towards something right now. If a church an institutional organization hurt you, just remember it wasn't him. It's not his idea to do that. If someone who claimed to be a believer has hurt you, it wasn't him. It was them. That's not what they should have been doing. So right now, in the name of Yeshua, I pray those wounds are healed. I pray those words are forgotten. I pray the condemnation and all the accusations are wiped from your memory, and anything the enemy ever did to take advantage of them has been undone. 
I pray that in Jesus' name. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There's no darkness in him. There's no ugliness in him. There's no shadow or variation of turning. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes not. So why do we act as if his word is not true and that he's different, that he's cold-hearted, that he's judgmental? He's this angry God sitting up in heaven. This, remember, I said I would have struck me with a lightning bolt. That wasn't what he did because as I was raised as a Roman Catholic, that's how he was pictured. That's not how he is. The Lord is compassionate. He's loving. Hebrews 4, verse 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Yeshua, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy, there it is again, and find grace, there it is again, to help in time of need. Let me read that last part again. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What's your time of need? Are you in one? I know I am. Are you in a time of need? Do you cry out for grace? Do you cry out for mercy? Do you rush boldly to the throne, crying out, Abba, Father, Papa, God, Daddy, knowing and expecting full well he's going to scoop you up in his arms? He declared, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I shall put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sin and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Hebrews 8, verses 10 through 12. I remember when I was a, a young believer, constantly saying I was sorry, constantly bringing up all the things that I had done to my family, to my, to my wife, to my son Jesse and and all the things I had done to others and all the mistakes I had made. And finally, one day the Lord said, stop. I don't know what you're talking about. I have put your sins under the blood and I have cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. Stop bringing them up. And I realized that was the enemy. That was the enemy putting them in my mind. That was me, in self-condemnation, beating myself up. Are you, are you doing that? Are you beating yourself up? You can't undo your mistake. You made one, you made it. You can't undo it. But you can go on. You can learn from it. You can get his forgiveness. You can have it put under the blood and tell the enemy to shut up when they bring it up. Psalm 51, verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Have I forgotten everything I did? Mostly. Mostly. Every now and then some things come to mind, and I realize they're, they're meant to be Reminders of where to study, to be able to minister to people, because you have a testimony. I mean, 
You can't get away from that. And your testimony of what he's forgiven you for is very powerful. And there's somebody out there that needs to hear it. They need to hear what you've been through. They need to know that they can be forgiven. That they don't need to sedate or cover up, whether through drugs or alcohol or whatever. They need to open up. They need to give it up. Because that's his nature. He wants to forgive you. He wants to forgive me. And there are times I don't. I don't want to forgive me. But what I immediately do is I repent and I say, I'm sorry. Help me to be better. Help me to be a better person. See, mercy, according to the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, is not mercy in God is not merely his pardon of offenders, but his attitude to man and to the world, generally from which his pardoning mercy proceeds. The frequency with which mercy is enjoined on men is specially deserving of notice, with the exclusion of the unmerciful, from sonship to the all-merciful, merciful Father and from the benefits of his mercifulness. Shakespeare's question, how how canst thou hope for mercy, rendering none? How can you hope for mercy when you offer none? Is fully warranted by our Lord's teaching and by Scripture in general. Wow, Shakespeare understood that you can't get mercy if you don't give it. You don't deserve it if you don't offer it. Joel chapter 2, starting verse 12. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. And then what we see is something very amazing. If you don't pay attention to the entirety of a section of the Bible, as we jump down to verse 28, we find out that his grace inspires his mercy and his spirit is the gift of Verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. You, isn't it interesting? Revelation coming here. You cannot have mercy unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And most teachers and denominations that are the most legalistic and judgmental are those that deny the gifts and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Those are the ones who I say look like they were baptized in pickle juice. They're not happy. They have no joy. They don't want you to have joy. They don't want you to move in the gifts If you do, they label you as demonic, which is blasphemy, by the way. Attributing the gifts of the person of the Holy Spirit to the satanic is blasphemy, a sin that will never be forgiven, not in this age or the age to come. But the gifts of the Spirit, presence of the Holy Spirit, inspires us to be loving. It softens our heart. He expects us to forgive because his Father forgave us. Matthew 18, starting verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall I, how how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? 
up to seven times. I've always wondered who he was talking about. Did he mean his literal brother, Andrew? Did it mean John? Because he seemed to have a little problem with, I, you know, I don't know. And Yeshua said, I, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought before him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. And the servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owned him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet, just like he had done, and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Which, of course, I've never understood, because if I'm in prison, I can't work. But anyway, so he threw him in prison. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you also not have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was very angry and delivered him to the torturers until he till he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. If you don't offer mercy, you don't get mercy, for there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you've been merciful... God will be merciful when he judges you. James 2.13 ties directly to Matthew 18. God is a merciful God. He's a loving God. He wants you to forgive. He wants you to start by forgiving yourself. Psalm 51 verse 17, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a Reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. Folks, if your sins, if your failures, if your mistakes don't break you simply because you have disappointed him and let him down, something's wrong. If you can be willful in your sin and your rebellion, if you can be willful in your unforgiveness and being merciless, something's wrong. In C.S. Lewis's Lewis's Mere Christianity, he says, I remember Christian teachers telling me long ago that I must hate a bad man's actions, but not hate the bad man, or as they would say, hate the sin, but not the sinner. For a long time, I used to think this is silly. Straw-splitting distinction. How could you hate what a man did and not hate the man? But years later, it occurred to me that there was one man to whom I'd been doing this all my life, namely myself. However much I might dislike my own cowardness or conceit or greed, I went on loving myself. There had never been the slightest difficulty about it. In fact, the very reason why I hated the things was that I loved the man. Just because I loved myself, I was sorry to find out that I was the sort of man who did those things. That's <laughs> what I was talking about before, thinking, what were you thinking, Richard? He goes on to say, consequently, Christianity does not want us 
to reduce by one atom the hatred we feel for cruelty and treachery. We ought to hate them. Not one one word of what we've said about them needs to be unsaid, but it does want us to hate them in the same way in which we hate things in ourselves, being sorry that the man should have done such things and hoping, if any way possible, that somehow, sometime, somewhere he can be cured and made human again. See, that means seeing someone through Yeshua's eyes, seeing them in their bondage, seeing them in their grief, seeing them in their brokenness, and praying for and believing for healing and deliverance. See, the Pharisees, they didn't do that. They hated the person along with the sin, even though they themselves were hypocrites. And the Lord made sure that they knew that. Matthew 23, starting verse 23, Woe to you, self-righteous scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you give a tenth, a tithe of your mint and dill and cumin, focusing on minor matters and have neglected the weightier, more important moral and spiritual provisions of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the primary things you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You spiritually blind guides who strain out a gnat consuming yourselves with minuscule matters and swallow a camel, ignoring and violating violating God's precepts. So the scribes with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they were meticulous in giving the Lord a tithe, a tenth of the most insignificant herbs they raised. But Yeshua didn't condemn them for this care about the small details of obedience, but excoriated them for being utterly unscrupulous when it came to showing justice and mercy and faithfulness to others. And using a figure of speech unsurpassed in its expressiveness, Yeshua described them as straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Now, if you don't understand what that means, the gnat, a tiny insect, often fell into a cup of sweet wine, which was strained out by sucking the wine through their teeth to keep from swallowing the gnat. (laughs) How ludicrous to take such care with the insignificant, but then swallowing the largest unclean animal in Jerusalem, the camel camel. What he's saying is the Pharisees, like many others, were infinitely concerned with minor details, but grossly blind to enormous sins like hypocrisy, dishonesty, cruelty, and greed. As I said, I sat on a church board for a number of years. Didn't want to, but I did. Kind of was obligated to do so. And what I saw was a lot of people whose lives I knew from revelation, knowledge, and other things were out of order. And I saw them criticize and attack. They were Pharisees. They had a religious spirit. We can't do that, folks. We need to be different. Matthew 9, starting verse 10, Now it happened as Yeshua sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Yeshua heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Yeah, he didn't sit with them to condone their sin. He sat with them in love and compassion and conviction so that they wouldn't want to be that way anymore. And we see that happen over and over. Grace and mercy, being merciful. Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. Having then gifts differing according to the grace 
that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy. In proportion to our faith or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. In that section of Romans 12, verse 6 through 8, there are seven spiritual gifts listed by Paul. Prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading or ruling, and what's the last one? Mercy. Remember before I said Joel 2.28, mercy inspires him to give you the spirit. See, this all ties together. I, I think it's amazing as I work on these things and I see how his word comes together, how all these thoughts are tied together in various places, this giant tapestry of threads connecting the dots, always leading back to one conclusion. James 3.17, that the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. I don't think until today, when the Lord gave me this topic, that I saw the connection to mercy in all these things. See, I'm not doing these Bible studies for you. I'm doing them for me. I'm just sharing them with you. I never saw it before. Over and over and over. Kicking Adam and Eve out of the garden seemed harsh. But he did that so that they couldn't become immortal and be without redemption, that they could never be redeemed. It was love and grace and mercy that he pushed them out so that he could redeem them. It just is so astounding to me how much he loves us, that even in our mess, he's willing to help us clean it up. He's willing to help us undo all the things we've done. That should inspire you to want to tell others, to want to share that with others, to want them to know what Yeshua, what Jesus has done for you, starting with, he forgave me and he saved me because he died for me. I would never have understood that before I became born again. See, the Jesus I'd been taught about, he was still dead up on the cross. We called it a crucifix. He was always on it. He wasn't off of it. He wasn't alive. Yes, he did die on the cross, absolutely necessary for the things he needed to do, but he's not on the cross anymore. He's not on the tomb anymore. He's alive, sitting at the right hand of the Father and giving us access to him, to the throne of grace and mercy. I understand it now. I would never understood any of this then. Look what Paul says in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Messiah forgave you. You can't talk about mercy without grace, without forgiveness. You can't talk about them without the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's all about mercy. He is a merciful God. That's where all this started at the beginning. He's the God of mercy. It's his nature. It's his nature to forgive. That's why he's stalling. He's stalling time. If he wanted to, he could just simply look at, at his son, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, say, I've had enough. Go in this. But he's waiting. He's waiting for that last person to get saved. He's giving us time to get it right. And I know it's bad. I know the darkness is growing. I know the evil is growing. But you know what? So are we. We're growing. We're growing in love and grace and mercy and power. I don't have to judge anyone. I don't have to condemn anyone. I don't sit in judgment 
And when the, you know, the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged, that word judge is a judicial condemnation. That's looking at somebody and saying, you're going to go to hell for what you did. I had people do that to me when I was unsaved and demon-possessed. You're going to go to hell for what you did to your wife and children walking out on them. You're going to go to hell for the things you do with the witchcraft and the crystals. I'm sorry. That wasn't the plan that he had. What's his plan for you? Does he want you to be merciful? Have you withheld mercy? Have you withheld grace? Again, it's not condoning the sin or accepting their behavior, but it's forgiving them and seeing them with the eyes of the Lord, seeing them in their brokenness, seeing them in their bondage, and wanting them to be set free. See, that's why for me, Luke 4.18, what he stood up and said in the synagogue in in Nazareth, living out Luke 4.18, casting out the demons, laying hands on the sick, the blind see, the, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead are raised, being like him, destroying the work of, of Hasatan and the fallen, setting the captives free making disciples and followers and believers of his, teaching them and walking with them and loving on them, forgiving them, being merciful to them. And I get it if somebody has been mean-spirited and merciless to you. Boy, do I get it. When I first got saved, I know I told you this, and I was in Tallahassee, I'd made the move and I uh, was at the church and doing all the time that I did there and serving under Shelley. And I remember one time walking in to his office, which I had free access to any time, and him looking at me going, what's up, sport? I remember shaking my head saying, you know, I I got it from the—I understand the rejection and the criticism from the world, but I'm being— judged and beaten up more here at the church than I ever was in the world. And he laughed. And he said, yep, welcome to it. Church is very judgmental. They don't want to see you in where you are in your process. They want to judge you. They want to criticize you. They want to tear you down. Well, guess what? That was organized religion. That's not relationship. That's not fellowship. And that's what you should desire. It's what I desire. It's what I want. Father, first of all, I hope I I did what you wanted. I hope I said what you wanted. I hope somebody out there heard something tonight that's going to turn that that corner for them, that's just that little one degree back to where they needed to be. Get them back on track in the right direction. Holy Spirit, I I pray that you take these words that I've spoken over them and into them and into myself and empower them. Release the dunamis of the throne room, your presence in us, in our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our spirit. Let this word go forth. Let it do what you intended it to do, and let us be what you need us to be in this time, in this hour before you return, Lord. And I pray that in Yeshua's name. And if you agree with me, say amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord, may Adonai Yeshua HaMashiach lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.